1: At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select-bagged mulch. Now starting at just two eighty-eight dollars a bag, mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Tonight, without the great Josh Scirocco, our producer, but uh, we are here with a friend of mine, Coach Evans. How you doing? Doing fine. How are you? Great to have you on. Always great to talk football with you. And I thought we'd talk about this absolutely awful game and see if talking about it together makes it any better, which it probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, Coach, let's get your particulars. Uh, Twitter handle and uh, your sip to tally.
3: Uh, Twitter handle is CoachEvans9, and there you'll see a mix of of Ravens talk and my my 9-to-5 job, which is a high school coach. Uh, Sip the Tally on YouTube is pretty much all Ravens content, and uh, that's where I post my film studies and, and breakdowns and, and things of that nature.
2: And that's Sip, S-I-P, the number two, and then Tally, T-A-L-L-Y, uh, if you want to find that, but it's a, uh, it's great content, lots of great explanation. And from somebody who really understands the game in terms of the coaching background, that's why we're loving having him on this show as well. We don't love talking about this football game, but we're going to have to do it. We're gonna have to take our medicine right now. And I, I don't know about you, but the game itself bothers me a little less than all the injuries Boyle, uh, Terrell Bonds, Williams, Humphrey, and I have to ask the question, will these define the Ravens' season?
3: I I think the length of Williams' injury, injury and Campbell's injury are the two that concern me the most. Because it's not hard for anybody in the NFL to duplicate what what um, the Patriots did. So having those two guys not in there, that concerns me a lot. And I, I, I hope they can get back in there before too much damage is done and we're out of contention.
2: Right. Me, me as well. I mean, obviously two weeks, the next two weeks they play Tennessee in a game that will have playoff implications. Then they play Pittsburgh on a short week in a game that has perhaps not playoff implications anymore. Honestly, it'll have playoff implications to the extent that it could be a loss for the Ravens, but I think they're unlikely to win the division at this point. Back three. Still possible, but not impossible, but uh, but less likely. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, the uh, to me, the way the Steelers picked the Ravens apart when they had three good defensive backs and they were just picking on the fourth in that four-corner dime uh, bothered me a lot more that they may go into that game with only two good cornerbacks they can really rely on, or maybe three, um, depending on the health of Jimmy Smith and, and uh, whether Tremont Williams and uh, is is still someone they can rely on? We didn't really see. I don't think enough to decide from this game whether he's going to be okay.
3: Yeah, he 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 didn't stand out to the point where he, anything negative happened. But obviously, he he's still getting his foot wet, feet wet, and trying to learn the system. But he, I don't think he did anything to cause us to lose the game based off what the, the Patriots did offensively
2: yeah I, I agree I mean as he had one third down conversion against him. It honestly wasn't much uh let's we'll get onto the rest of the show in a second, but i need to do a reader here for my bookie who's our favorite online bookmaker so between the NFL college ball and the major league playoffs, I think we're past that right now. There's no shortage of games to watch, and with thousands of lines available in all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game into a payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back big favorites, consider a parlay. And don't forget the underdogs. They have value as well. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Now, here's the big part. Sign up for MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code. That's RAVENS. You know how to spell that, I hope. But it's R-A-V-E-N-S. To claim a deposit match, dollar for dollar, all the way up to $1,000. I've gambled for a number of years, and I have rarely found anything in the industry that's that good—a matching proposition. And definitely, if you're going to if you're going to bet online, if you're going to wager online, start with the advantage of a nice match right up front. It's a deposit designed to give you a little help, head start on your winning season with stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets. I, I think that might be shut down by now. All the major sports and more. Sign up today. And you can bet on whatever sporting events are now occurring <laughs> and do it through mybookie.com. And once again, that promo code is RAVENS to get the extra $1,000 match. All right, Coach. So back to this game. Uh, I, I think I'm not as concerned about the loss given the circumstances. And I'm talking about the, the losing the actual game. Given the strength of their offensive line, how they were able to do it under the circumstances, the you know the both arms tied behind their back that the Ravens had in this one, I'm much more concerned about the injuries. Yes,
3: I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you too. The um, the fact that we actually had a, a chance to win the game at the end before the, the heavens opened up, uh, I was tickled about that. But the injuries concerned me because this was just one game, but those injuries could turn into two, three, four games.
2: Yeah, they could. And Boyle lost for the year. While there are some people who don't, you know, would minimize the impact of Boyle, he's tremendously important to everything the Ravens do. If you just go through that game and watch the film, as we did when we looked at the offensive line, you just realize how play after play Boyle contributes something important to almost everything they do offensively. And it's hard for me to believe they're going to be able to go to the street now. And find a guy, even if they can find a big tight end, who can contribute something as a blocker and something as a receiver the way Boyle does. And Boyle is one of the best blocking tight ends in the game. I think we'd agree.
3: I definitely agree with that.
2: Yeah. And not a bad receiving tight end. I mean, He's not a great receiving tight end, but he's not a bad receiving tight end. Way, way uh, better
3: than, than last year. He's, he's, that's the, the area of his game I think he's improved the most on.
2: Yeah, he really looked. I thought he looked great in the previous game. To this one, he had what about four catches for forty-six or something, but it was a it was a it was a good solid game. Had one very nice snatch of the ball outreached. Uh, uh, been playing well and really you know making block after block in the run game, which is really the key for him.
3: And I really think his injury puts us down to one tight end, despite what they try to call
2: Ricardo. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I I don't think. They've been kind of faking it all the season with only two tight ends on the roster and Ricard. I have felt like they've needed that extra quickness they had with Hurst, not to mention the pair of hands, but the quickness to block in space that they don't have with Ricard. Ricard's great as exactly what he is, a sixth or seventh offensive lineman with Boyle also there but he, they need to have a guy who can block in level two or level three more effectively, and that's not who Ricard is. They really need a guy who's, who acts less like an offensive lineman in space, has the quick feet to match up, you know, the way Boykin can, but, uh, but at the tight end position.
3: Right. They, they, it's going to be tough to find somebody that can can put a combination of catching and blocking together the way Boyle did. And um, even if it was somebody out there, they probably wouldn't be ready by this next game. You know, with the with the protocols and whatnot, they
2: got to Right. They out. have to wait to bring him on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have two guys on the practice squad right now, Xavier Grimble, who used to play for the Steelers, but he's been out for much of the year, so I don't think he's had a lot of practice time with the Ravens. And the other guy they have is Sean Culkin, who they've been protecting. So that I, I think he might be the next guy up. He's He's been in the league for a few years and has not had much in the way of catches uh, during that period but uh, he probably gives you a little bit in terms of both receiving and blocking, but it's obviously going to be nothing near what Boyle was.
3: Yeah, it's gonna, I think it's going to force us to do some different things uh, Sunday in the offense. <laughs> Maybe some things that they're not comfortable doing, but got to try to see.
2: Yeah, there you go. Are, are you? Do you think the Ravens are still likely to make the playoffs given how weak their schedule is down the stretch, or are you now concerned about it?
3: I think they're still uh likely to to make the playoffs. I think splitting these one of the you know getting one of or one of these two next games or even both of them uh puts us in definitely almost a definitely in there unless we have a mm-hmm. huge letdown versus one of those three or four remaining teams. But this is the big stretch right here that that Patriots game which you probably wouldn't have thought of first. But then you come back with the uh, the Titans and the undefeated Steelers on Thanksgiving, this is a stretch where injuries are really going to rear their head. And we want to see what kind of coaches we got, you know, in these next two weeks.
2: Yeah. I hope they, they can they can pull together a game plan to take care of the Steelers, which seems very difficult. But, you know, matching up against Tennessee, it's going to be the same kind of blunt force battle that it was here against the, the Patriots. And I don't think that plays well, particularly if Williams can't return this week. I mean, I almost think the Ravens have to be out calling Peco at this point, trying to figure out what he's, how, what kind of game shape he's in.
3: <laughs> they got to do something because what we have in the middle, not strong enough to handle what's coming Sunday.
2: Yeah, it, it did not work. And, and Ellis played almost every snap after Williams left the game. I think it was 46 out of 51 or 46 out of 49, one of those two. Now, 46 out of 51 is correct. Had 56 real plays for the game, not including the Neals. 50, he missed the first five, and then and then he had to play 46. It's almost a career high in snaps for him, but it was way more than he was capable of, and we're going to get to a little bit of that, I think, later.
3: What? Um, and I couldn't find it when I looked at the the film earlier. When exactly did did uh, Williams go out? Was it the first drive?
2: Yeah, fifth play of the game was his last. Okay, so I, played I called the first myself
3: looking for it early, and I couldn't find it.
2: Yeah, it was it was a interesting game because the Ravens obviously they didn't have Campbell and he's an iron man, but they activated five defensive linemen, which you think that's the right call because you know the Patriots are going to come with a lot of 21 personnel, which means tons of base defense the Ravens need to play. The Ravens have have not in recent years played anything like the number of linemen per play they did in this game. And I, I don't even know how far back it is, but it hasn't happened during the last three years. But they played 2.61 defensive linemen per play. And, you know, the Ravens are normally a, a, a nickel at most team that plays a lot of uh, outside linebackers on the inside on passing downs where they have a lot of plays with one and they can have plays even with zero defensive linemen on the field. But in this game, they they used a lot of three and a lot of two, and they averaged two point sixty one for the game. It's been it's been years since they've had a game with that much defensive line usage, and then to be short a man and really only have four you're drawing from, really leaves you very thin there.
3: It was it activating Ward would may have helped a little bit, but I I can understand the game plan going into it.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm Ward. I, you know, a lot of people have been talking about him, but Ward really doesn't play on the inside unless it's a passing down for sure. That's the only time he puts his hand on the turf. Otherwise, he's a he's a stand-up outside linebacker. So I'm not saying they couldn't have used him because their stand-up outside linebackers, you know, they they, they really struggled to find the right combination of players. I think they finally did in the end. But, uh, but I'm not sure how much Ward would have helped unless you're talking about replacing Ward for Williams and missing Williams' five snaps, which... They'd have to have, you know, some no, sort I'm just, of. I'm just
3: thinking of another body to try to throw in there, not because the um you don't want those guys getting all those snaps because once they get tired, they get moved a lot easier. Just just as another body to to try, uh, try to keep the guys that were the primary run guys fresh.
2: Okay, so you're saying even even if they had to go a little light on some snaps, that would have been better than trying to play all the guys. Uh, 80% of the snaps, say, yes. on the inside, some of those guys. Yes. All right, I, yeah, I'll buy that. That's, uh, that's uh, you know. T- Either way go, <laughs>
3: just without Campbell and Williams, it, it wasn't a, a recipe for success for us. Right. What they were doing.
2: Right. They, were, they, were very, they certainly leaned on the Ravens a lot in that game. You know, we're going to have to talk about so many bad things today. We do want to hit on one thing before we forget about this is, is – uh, Martindale made a very smart play. I guess it came from Harbaugh originally um, to have Clark intentionally jump off sides with 240 to go. So that was that would have been called in from the sidelines. He jumped off sides. He touched up and then he jumped back, which is the right thing to do because if the guy doesn't move and the referee doesn't see the contact, you might give the, you might give the offense a free play and that's what you don't want to do there. But it's the second time in the last... Well, since last December... The Ravens have used an intentional offside play, and I'll I'll take people back. But uh, last year at Buffalo, uh, Singleton had a 38-yard run that took him down to the two-yard line. They had the dime defense in the game at the time. And, of course, they didn't want to have six defensive backs on the field when they're defending at the two-yard line because Buffalo's going to get real heavy with them and try and run the ball in. So they, they had Clark intentionally stand on the wrong side of the football, put his hand on Josh Allen, they got the they got a uh, neutral zone infraction called, and then they were able to substitute in their their jumbo package. So uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, way. This one it was all about clock management and basically conceding the second and two, which I think was probably the right call, but then of course didn't work out. They stopped them and they they got the ball too late anyway, and 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 too deep in their own territory.
3: And then the rain, the more, more rain. <laughs> yeah, it was already tough for Lamar to, you know to handle the ball, but. That that last little monsoon at the end made it almost impossible.
2: Yeah, that was that was a deluge. That was. I'm thinking they got to pull the other team off the field at that point. In fact, I I, I was almost thinking the Ravens needed to take themselves off the field earlier in that game when I thought it was off or whatever. That you're not allowed to do that. All right. So let's talk about some of this failure to stop the run in a little bit more detail because I, I, there were a lot of reasons for it. It wasn't just the loss of Williams. I think that really towers over all the other reasons for it. But, you know, what really bothered me about this is how badly the Patriots mauled the Ravens' base package, particularly when that line became overworked.
3: Yep, I saw a lot of um, not having gap integrity. And then even when we did have gap integrity, we had guys trying to make tackles that weren't necessarily um, strong enough to to make the tackle right then. There was a lot of falling forward going on. Mm -hmm. So you, we may get them for a yard or two gains, but by the time we get them on the ground, it's four, five, six yards. Yeah, and I'm speaking mainly Chuck Clark in some of those instances, and even Queen in some of them.
2: I Queen was the big one I saw, but I'm not denying that it would be Clark too. Queen uh, had a Harris's 12 yard run, had eight. Yards after contact on it. That's a Q two three thirty five. If you want to go back and look at it, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, speaking to the listeners here. But they've. uh, uh, It's it's one of those plays that boy, you say, this is where it's showing up that Patrick Queen doesn't really have the size to play inside linebacker when that kind of thing happens.
3: Exactly. He he's, and and in my just Monday morning quarterback thoughts, it probably would have been better had they switched roles last night. Had, Had Malik been the the middle guy or Boyd mm-hmm. been the middle guy, but boy's a smaller guy too. Had Malik mm-hmm. been the middle guy and let Queen and Boyd be the, the outside edge type linebackers. I mean, they were the other linebackers, so to speak, but let Queen be the A-gap guy.
2: Right. And, and you know
3: what? I mean, not Queen, In- I'm sorry.
2: Malik. Malik Harrison, in, in, in terms of body type and who those players are, that makes complete sense, period, is, is he is really, uh, Malik, is really a two-down Mike linebacker. He may someday be able to be a really good pass defender. We saw some evidence of that not being the case in this game, but he, he's, he's a guy who really belongs in that Mike role, but the fact of the matter is that the Mike is the position that's on the field all the time, so they can't justify a first-round draft pick on Queen unless he's going to be a guy that you groom to be on the field all the time. The skills are probably there. He'll probably be able to carry five more pounds as as time goes on. Maybe even a little more than that as, as he gets a little older. Um, he's got that great sideline to sideline speed, but boy, there's so many problems right now technically with his game. Fundamentally, you know, the things he did wrong in this game were just they they were they were broad. It was it was not just getting run over. It was not knowing what the where the right gap is or not filling properly. Uh, it, it was it was not advancing to fill as opposed to standing back and filling. It was, you know, it was a lot. It was more than just getting run over. Mm -hmm.
3: Definitely. Uh, Certain times he was in the same gap as another, you know, D lineman or whatnot. And that's that's where they hit. Where they hit. He was out of position on a number of occasions. And it don't take much for a linebacker to be out of position. One step, one read step wrong, one step to the left too much. And either a, a lineman is up on you or you're just not in position to, to make the tackle, especially with a runner like Harris, that can run through arm tackles.
2: Right. Yeah, he's definitely a big guy and definitely proved uh, proved some of that ability. I I'm I'm bothered by the by the inability to stay in a gap, and I'm probably more bothered by that because that gap discipline is also evident in his past coverage failures is that he's not able to stay in a zone properly. That's kind of consistent to my way of thinking of not being able to stay in a gap properly and just wanting to follow the ball.
3: That's where that speed is, is a detriment to him. He thinks he can get to (laughs) any and everybody instead of being patient.
2: Yeah, there you go. Um, Other problems involved in this, uh, the uh, what do I want to even say about this? With poor play from both inside linebacker spots because I didn't think Harrison had a good game either. In fact, he had just two tackles on a game where he was in for 33 run snaps. That's not supposed to happen for a weak side linebacker who's a trail guy, cleanup guy. You're supposed to have some cheap tackles even if you don't make the you know the first gap tackles.
3: At least be the guy, the second guy getting there, at least. Yeah. And with them running inside as much as they did, there was plenty of opportunity for him to be the initial or the at least the second guy getting there.
2: Right. A lot of caught in the wash in this game. Uh, you know, The other thing about the failing to stop the run that really bothered me is the Ravens didn't really find the right combination of edge setters. And it has to do with wanting to have one of their Sam linebackers on the field all the time. That's number one. And the other one that I'm really bothered by is they feel the need to have Ngakwe on the field on way too many first and second downs. Ngakwe's not a run defender. Excuse me for one moment please. Okay.
4: <laughs> okay
2: there we go. Um Ngakwe's not a run defender. He's he's undersized for that role. He's a, he's a situational pass rusher. And there's no there's no shame in that. I mean, you know, he he may want to play every down, but he's he's a guy who really should be in there for passing downs and not run downs. He wasn't unbelievably Awful against the run in this game, but he wasn't who the Ravens needed him to be in terms of being able to hold that edge. He got fanned out a little bit too much, left open open space in those gaps, and that obviously created problems. Uh, you know, it was already too much of the guys at the line of scrimmage not holding their ground and allowing those guys to the, the second block off that double team to climb to level two too easily. So it, it, it focuses the need to have your edge setters right.
3: Most definitely, he's definitely undersized. He's a finesse pass rusher, so you definitely don't want him in there in heavy run situations. But I can understand throwing different bodies out there trying to see what they can give you because we were just getting bled to death, and it wasn't even a slow, a slow, slow bleed. They were just constantly gashing, constantly gashing, and I can understand the the panic, as so you know, so to speak, to just put somebody out there to see if they can do it because it's. it's at that point, you knew the game was going to be to the point where your offense wasn't going to, you know, your offense is not built to just throw it like that. So you had to try to stop them at by doing everything but throwing the kitchen sink. But I don't think we could have let them, um, I mean, the way we played at the end, I don't think we could have done that the entire game.
2: Okay, so some of the, you're talking about some of the run blitzing they did at the yes. end, like sending Peters off the edge. And the, yes, I agree sir. with that. Y- you know what did work though is they finally found the right guys. As Ferguson and McPhee were the edge setters that really made a difference. And just to give you a little bit of statistics from the game, when they had Ferguson in the game, uh, I'm going to give you this to you right now. They rushed for an average of 3.9 yards per carry. So that's fine. You can do that. You just can't give up the you know the larger numbers. And when they had McPhee in the game, only 2.9 yards per carry. So when they had them both in the game, they were they were they they had the good run defending unit they needed. The problem is that that's two rush linebackers, and that's creates some coverage, flexibility issues, obviously. Handcuffs your defenses, force you to either put a safety or a specific linebacker on a tight end. And by the way, they didn't hardly throw to the tight end the whole game. All right. But would you have difficulty arriving at that combination, if you're Martindale, would you have not wanted to give up that flexibility or in a game like this, where it's, you know, pouring cats and dogs anyway, would you say we got to stop the run first? Yeah,
3: most definitely. Because I told somebody earlier, that's probably the, one of the few teams in the NFL with a receiving core as bad as ours. <laughs> so, so, so running is the priority for them. And so we, we would have to stop it. So, you know, just let them, I mean, we got decent DBs, you know, the the decent corners, Mm-hmm. And we got, okay, you know, let those guys play man until they show you that they can beat you.
2: Right. I, I agree. And, you know, it's a wet night. It's you know, A lot of balls are getting dropped, period. But uh, balls got to be thrown improperly eventually in, in that kind of a deluge, too. Receivers slip more. You know, just more things go wrong in the process of a route, you know, when something's going on like that. So I I, I thought stopping the run was the obvious thing they needed to do. And, and obviously the one thing... You know, one thing that the Ravens' defense really depends on very often is turnovers, and there weren't any of those. There weren't any really blown opportunities by the Patriots in this game.
3: Right. They they And Cam was, I think he only had four incompletions.
2: Yeah, what, is he 13 or 17? Yeah, Something like that. Yeah. All right. Um, one other thing I thought was, that was showed up a lot on these run plays was too many small on big losses. Now, what I mean by that is it's okay— If your linebacker gets blocked by a guard moving up to level two, it's not great, but it's okay. It's not okay when your defensive tackle gets blocked by a tight end. It's not okay when your outside linebacker gets blocked by a wide receiver. And there was way too much of that in this game. I have some specific notes in in my article, but there was too much of that small on large losses. And in particular, their fullback... Uh, had a had a big day of blocking pretty much everybody. He helped on double teams. He moved into level two and hit Harrison. I mean, he just whatever they needed him to do, whatever key block they needed on runs, he seemed to be there most of the day.
3: And what really stood out to me in that situation, and I think it happened on this play, was Cam's touchdown. Mm-hmm. We had a receiver like blocked down on an outside linebacker that, and nobody even had a chance. Like the guy that pulled for New England had nobody to block.
2: Yes. Yes, I remember that, thinking that exactly. it was. I think it was Owaino who was just pulling from right tackle. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he just took a leisurely stroll into the end zone looking around for somebody, and Cam just danced in. Yep. Yeah, that was ugly.
3: <laughs> and So it was it's instances like that throughout the game where guys that we feel like should win based off of positional, you know, defensive end, outside linebackers shouldn't be continuously, like, blocked by receivers. Unless you you know you're talking a massive guy, and I don't think Harry was the one making a bunch of those tackles because Harry is big.
2: Yeah, Harry and and Jacoby Myers had some of the blocks. Was really he's the one I kept noticing uh, getting big ones, but Harry Harry had some too. So maybe we shouldn't be too upset about it. I'll. I'll uh, I'm going to try and just get over this, I guess. <laughs> Let's talk packages on this, because this is where I thought the Ravens had less variation than they did at any time this year. I don't think that's a question or not, but uh, just to go through this a little bit, they, they had 10 men on the field on the third play of the game. It looked like to me, based on the snaps and the usage and whatnot, they, the, the Patriots were still in 21 personnel on the play that Mattapike left the field and he wasn't supposed to. So uh, you know, it's one of those situations where you really hate for that to happen. It, it just contributed another seven-yard gain on first and 10 that was one of ooh, about 20 nails in the coffin in this <laughs> right. game that they had in terms of good plays, but it kept them on the field for another uh, set of downs there just by, by losing first down so badly. What, what do you do about that? How many times a, a, in high school have you guys had 10 men on the field for a play in the last couple of years, let's say?
3: Ooh, honestly... The, the the problem will be more so having twelve than ten.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: We rarely have ten on the field. The only way we might have ten on the field if it's on like punt or something like that, one of the special teams. But as far as a regular defensive down, the problem is really having twelve, and that's really not a problem for us because we kind of run the same eleven guys. Okay, we don't we don't have a ton of sub packages.
2: Okay, so that so that's a good that's a good point there. Without sub packages, you probably lose a lot of the risk of of that happening. So on on punt, if you have somebody hurt, and then the next punt comes up, your special teams coach really needs to know you're number nine now, right?
3: Right. But okay. in in actuality, high school that special teams coach is probably another position coach. and So he's trying to focus on both of those things at the same time, and and they they happen they happen because the guy okay. that goes out hurt. Probably is not as hurt as he led on to be initially and runs back out there and and his backup runs back out there. That's where (laughs) you end up with 12 like that. But as far as regular defense, it rarely happens because the only people that really sub for us is the D-line.
2: Okay. All right. Very interesting. All right, great look into, into, into high school coaching there.
4: Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile, break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Do your
0: part to reduce waste and recycle right. Many of us are ordering more items, such as food and other goods, delivered to our homes. More packages means more waste. Consolidate smaller orders into one larger order to reduce waste. When shopping in person, bring a reusable bag. Recycle right by keeping plastic bags, foam containers, rechargeable batteries, and garden hoses out of your recycling bin. Learn more at GoRecycle.org.
2: Brought to you by Prince William County, District of Columbia, and American Disposal Services. Now, I mentioned the base package here. The Ravens played it 34 times in this game, which is an unbelievable amount for modern football. You know, we're not, we're not talking 1974 anymore. We're, this is 2020, last I checked. And 34 base packages was 20 was the previous high in any game, and that was against Cleveland in Week 1. They have barely played 34 the whole year. I'd have to look up the exact number they played, but uh, uh, it's I'll tell you right now. Let's do it. Uh, the entire year. The Ravens have played 111 times with four defensive backs on the field. So they played a third of those in this game, even though this was the ninth game of the season. So they played much more than they would uh, normally in a game. And a lot of the times, otherwise, they've played base, base defense. It's because the other team puts in a sixth offensive lineman. It's not because uh, the other team is running 21 personnel. Mm-hmm. All right, anyway, the base defense got run all over. 34 plays, 215 yards overall. That's 6.3, which might not be terrible if you were passing a lot, but they gave up 126 yards on 25 run plays. Now, Coach, you know how bad that is, but but to give up f- over five yards of carry with your base defense in there and them doing nothing special other than 21 personnel, that's embarrassing.
3: It is. It's Like I said earlier, those slow Low deaths. It's and you is like you can't stop. No matter what you mm-hmm. do, you can't stop it because they're hitting. They're hitting on all cylinders, and it's almost like they got your number that day. Especially cool. is that that one drive that stands out to me is the the drive they got the touchdown, but they missed the field goal on
2: right. Right after the half, when they drove down the field on four plays. Mm,
3: no, the, 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 this was in the first half. Okay, they got when they went up thirteen to to seven. As a play caller, that was a thing of beauty. I hated seeing it happening to my team. But as a play caller, that drive was a thing of beauty. They had you know, runs down, the, down the, the middle, which made us condense the defense. Then we bounced and hit They hit them on the outside, which made them spread back out. Then they hit mm-hmm. them with play action. It was just they hit them with a variation of things, and we really couldn't stop any of it.
2: Okay, that was the one that's finished off by Myers' touchdown pass to Burkhead. I think so. Okay. So that, yeah, that was, that was an ugly play <laughs> ugly drive there. You know, it was really a death of a thousand cuts though, because they didn't have a 75 yard run that contributed to a five yard per play average. You know, their longest run of the day was 25 yards. So uh, it sounded yeah. like they had a bunch of those. The problem I have with it is the Ravens really never figured out how to turn it off for good for the game. They were running from start to finish. And the comp- with 11 runs of seven-plus yards, those included two on their final meaningful drive. They had two eight-yard runs. Mm-hmm. I look back to the last year. You remember the San Francisco game, how frustrated we were about the edge defense in that game. Yes. And... The thing about it was that they let that happen for 35 minutes and it was Kittle and it was Juszczyk. you know. So it's really like you're running against very much a Ravens offense, very good <laughs> offensive line. Mm-hmm. But, but the fact of the matter is the Ravens then stopped it and they had no runs over five yards in the last 25 minutes by making a relatively simple change, moving Ward in and taking Ferguson out. By the way, Ferguson completely changed as a run defender since. Yes. But the, the point is that the Ravens were able to stop the bleeding in that game. They never figured out how to stop it in this game
3: uh, question thinking back to that game was was pierce or williams in that game
2: um i will check for you
3: My the, the reason i the only reason i asked is because if we just changed edge defenders um that you know to stop it that would be the big deal because they weren't running inside anyway they were probably running b to c gap because while edge defenders weren't setting edges like they should which, which puts our, our linebackers and DBs in position to be out of position as far as cutbacks and things like that. Because that's all San Francisco did. They run stretch and then when you overrun it, they cut it back.
2: Right. It, Williams and Pierce were both active for that game. So there's really little uh, excuse. But, you know, San Francisco with their bigger bodies with Juice and Kittle mm-hmm. on the outside are a much more able outside run team and the Ravens obviously they had problems at inside linebacker we knew about those the the whole year basically but but they they got less when they had Bynes and fort but they really did not have the issues on the interior they still were a very good run stopping interior the problems were on the edge
3: yep and we had we had the edge guys last night we just didn't have the interior
2: yeah there you go (laughs) There you go. Okay, let's keep going packages here. We'll get through this pretty quickly. They played two plays with Jumbo Nickel. Uh, One of those two was the 24-yard touchdown from Myers to Burkhead, so uh, that didn't work out all that well. They played zero rush nickel. Now, why would I even bring it up if they didn't do that? Well, the rush nickel is a three-outside linebacker package where Board is in as a second inside linebacker, but as really as a proxy for the safety. Okay, so it's really more like you play that in a dime package situation. So now you see why it's important because the Ravens weren't generating situations regularly that that created favorable down and distance situations for them. And they really only had a couple of those uh, later in the game. They really did not have much of that through about the first two and a half quarters of the football game.
3: It's, again, (laughs) searching for straws. Searching for straws, trying to find something that works, and and I honestly think he was searching for straws in that San Francisco game, and just happened to find the right straw.
2: That mm-hmm. it was it, it, it. I've always been impressed with Martindale's ability to use the personality he has and change the game plan to make things work. But this was a game where. I think he was really out of any any trump cards. He had a bunch of threes and fours in his hand <laughs> as far as, you know. And uh, there's just, there just wasn't any way to play those cards into a winner. It's a, it's a shame. All right, race car nickel. This is the one package the Ravens used that they were able to get on the field, get some linemen off. They, the race car nickel, one defensive lineman, one inside linebacker, four outside linebackers. Each time the one inside linebacker was bored, same set of four outside linebackers each time, two plays, seven yards, got off the field both times on third and 13 and third and 10. So the problem wasn't getting off the field once they got to that point. The problem was getting any of those situations where the Patriots weren't really in a third and short. Right.
3: It'd be interesting to know, and I know it's probably in the, the, the uh, game book somewhere, what were their third down, like their numbers? Like you, how how much of... How many third and shorts they had, how many third and longs they had. Because I can tell you right now. How about went? that?
2: Okay. <laughs> okay. So their they're third downs for the game, I'll read them through to you. First quarter, on the first, very first drive, they had a third and four, and they had a third and six when they got the touchdown. Then they had a, I'm sorry, third and six when they got sacked to get out of field goal range. So that worked out. Second drive, they had a third and three. Third drive, they had a third and two, a third and four. They didn't have any on the fourth drive. Begin Q3, they, they had four straight first downs and scored. The next drive, they had a third and two. And let's see, incomplete on that play. Then they had a third and 13 on the next drive. That's the first really long distance one. Then a third and one and a third and 10, where they finally got knocked off the field. Then the following drive with their last one of the game, they had a third and three that got converted. And then a third and seven, where the Ravens stopped them on that run where Newton just kind of slid to the ground to give the ball back with about a minute left, so not a lot of long distance third downs in there.
3: Not, not at all, it, and it, just just trying to compute the numbers fast. You're probably averaging third and third and five, third yeah. five and a half somewhere up in there. Or
2: maybe less, but yeah, third, yeah, that, that's right range.
3: And so, with that being said, that's as a play call, that's what you want. Yeah, that's what you. Yeah, want. I agree. Third and four, third and five. You, you know, your whole playbook's open. You got play action. You can still run uh they too tight you can hit the deep ball you just got everything
2: yeah i mean very much like watching the 2019 ravens play with a good offensive line with good blockers at the other positions and being able to bully you a little bit and even you know third and 6 if they're in the right spot on the field that's not a that's not a non running down definitely right exactly uh, can,
3: especially if you on the, if you're on the if you're across the 50 yep you're playing for, and with our propensity to go for it on fourth down you know you got extra down That's uh, easy. Third and six, you run and then get get four or five. And now you're sitting at at fourth and one, fourth and two.
2: Yep. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Uh, Last package they used was a standard nickel. That was 17 times. So you see they're in base 34 times, standard nickel 17. Almost no variation in the 56 plays. That takes up 51 of them. Uh, they, They were effective in the standard nickel. And I basically think the Patriots did them a favor anytime they put a third receiver on the field. Mm-hmm. 17 plays 55 yards 3.2 yards per play uh when they had the nickel in there
3: them putting the third receiver in there definitely gave us the advantage because they had the advantage as far as o line and, and tight end against our you know defensive front six or seven and them taking a guy taking a receiver out there and putting him you know taking one of their power guys out definitely mm-hmm. helped us out with the problems that we were having last night anyway
2: Yeah, it's basically they took a fullback out and put a wide receiver in. That fullback was a key to a lot of their rushing offense, that's for sure. All right, let's talk about the pass rush a little bit. Now, we've got a few things to go here, but... Uh, Newton and Myers combined Myers of course had the touchdown pass had ample time and space on six of 19 dropbacks, which is 32%. It's a little bit less than normal, but those are the, those are the passes that you really just need to make something happen on when you got that much time in the pocket. Uh, they did get rid of the ball quickly five other times that was all Newton. So the Ravens really just had eight pressure events in the game. And obviously there's not much that shows up on the box score for the Ravens in terms of sacks, quarterback hits, mm-hmm. uh, I think
3: and Judon did get one, didn't he? One sack.
2: Judon got a sack, and uh, they had three quarterback hits in total, and that includes the sack.
3: So, um, that's what Ngogway was brought in for, but because of their third downs being so short, he was kind of, to me, not useless, but not able to get out there and do what he does.
2: Yeah, I agree completely. It really reduces his value when the Ravens can't get to third and short. But having Ngakwe on the field actually hurts your chance of getting to third and short also.
3: Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be in there, like you said earlier, first first and second down. He should come, maybe second and long, he should come in. But definitely third pass situations, he should come in. But with us just trying to find a combination of guys, I understand why he was in there. You know, I saw him trying to set the edge one time just by rolling mm-hmm. and, and causing a pile.
2: Yeah. You know, he, he does that. Actually, that was one of the things I'm most proud of him for because he had pulling guard coming at him and he's going to lose that battle. That's a hundred pound. Well, not a hundred pound, but it's probably a 75 pound difference between him and a typical pulling guard. And if he gets hit, he's going to lose the battle. That's what Suggs would have done in the situation is he would go low to try and hit that pulling guard, create a pile and let somebody else make the tackle. So that's actually, I think that's the best thing he can do there. I did think, and maybe you could tell me how the how the high school game is. That it's technically illegal to cut block a pulling player.
3: Yeah, in high school it is. Okay, so. It
2: is. But it slightly... still gets
3: done sometimes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: all
3: done. right.
2: All right. So what else do we have to say about the pass rush here? I know there's some things I wanted to say here. I thought the play action was very successful. I don't think that's surprising at all, considering the run success that the. Uh, uh patriots had that their play action worked
3: they they, 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 that's simple when you when you when you run the ball that well which they were doing their play action passes were wide open Mm -hmm. like cam was throwing the ball and and a a defender wasn't even in the screen and that's why his completion percentage was so high
2: right i i i agree the the Pass that really got to me was Izzo, who they never really use as part of the offense. He had, had one toss to him. He had a cross, a simple crossing route, but it was it was turn-your-back play action. Cam pretended to hand the ball off. I don't remember if it was to Harris or who it was. But Harrison and Queen both bit so far on that fake, there was no chance of them getting back. And it ended up being in Harrison's zone that that, that ball dropped in for an easy 20-yard completion. So, hey, bummer and uh it's but it's not really surprising that the play action would be effective under those circumstances
3: right they because of that run right out the middle' it's, it's, it's just simple football. Football ain't as hard as people make it. If you can run the ball, <laughs> you can run the ball successfully with with dives and ice hoses which, which, which they were doing. everything else opens up. the complete you know play action like things that you probably didn't even plan on running opens up because the the routes that myers was was getting open on. And like a normal game, he wouldn't get open on on um, our D, our corners like that. But because they kind of had their eyes cutting toward that run, to, you know, maybe they had some kind of support. He was able to do some of the things and get away from some of them guys. But, I mean, it all set up by the play action. I mean, by the run.
2: Right. I, I they really picked on those inside linebackers. Queen and Harrison both got picked on just tremendously in this game. It's not surprising they would try and do that. Uh, it's it's not inconsistent with what's been doing the previous weeks. I just think the game plan is really out there now how to how to go after the Ravens with your passing attack.
3: Yeah, but you but the thing is you have to have the O line to do that, and they do. They're, mm-hmm. they're the Ravens. I mean not the Ravens. The Patriots' strength, in my opinion, is their O line and their DBs when they're healthy. The O line and the DBs. and their O line was way better than our D D line last night, especially with Campbell and and Williams being out of there. And it, even yeah. if Williams had not been hurt. It still would have been tough, because they could have doubled him and then you know solo blocked some the the other guy and still probably had problems. But we really needed both of those guys to be in there to kind of you know neutralize that run game.
2: Right, I I'd have felt better about it. I'd have felt better about the loss period if Williams hadn't gotten hurt, obviously. But if I'd have felt better about the loss had Williams been in there and they're splitting some snaps and we're still getting outclassed on the line, I guess that might tell us more about who the Ravens aren't. If they if that had happened, but it still would have been, uh, you know, maybe a better way to lose. But anyway, messy game, sloppy stuff. I'll we'll talk a little bit more about the pass rush, if you don't mind. The Ravens rushed five plus on 14 of 19 pass rushes. Now, they didn't have a lot of chances to be aggressive in this game. But when they did rush the pass or when the, when the Patriots actually passed, the Ravens tried to get after him. And that's 74 percent blitz rate or the five plus rush rate was the highest of the season uh, by a substantial margin.
3: Yeah, and, it, and it's still, you know, trying to. And I think those blitzes were were run blitzes. They were they were trying to, you know, get run oh. fits and not necessarily, you know, get after the quarterback because a lot. I think a lot of cams passes were play action. So I think those blitzes were were basically run blitzes, and they end up, you know, passing the ball and it comes off as a straight blitz.
2: Okay, so they did have a fair number of bl- blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. So they had 10 blitzes from off the line of scrimmage in just 19 passes, which is a very high rate. But I I would buy that because a lot of the times Harrison was their most frequent guy to blitz from off the line of scrimmage. So as a run bl- as a run blitzer, he kind of makes sense to beat somebody in a gap when you're run blitzing.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and basically just to, to seal that gap up, Gap mm-hmm. up before the running back running back is able to get through it and, and you know get in that second level. Or
2: or you maybe meet the fullback there too, if oh, you're yes. two hundred and forty pound Harrison. Yes,
3: sir. Yeah. And make a pile. Exactly.
2: Yeah. All right. That makes a lot of sense. I hadn't really thought about that, but that, that really explains, I think, this high blitz rate. Because when I go over to stunts, they had zero stunts in the game. And uh, you know, they, they had a they probably used it for a couple of reasons, I'm thinking. The one is they really wanted to control Newton with some, with some controlled rush lanes to try and make sure they could take care of him if they needed to. Right. But I think the other thing is that just like the Colts last week, who had rivers in the pocket, no one to fear running, they really wanted to control the screen game by not disadvantaging their players with a bunch of twists.
3: And I, I, I honestly think the defensive game plan for both teams should have been the same. Stop the run, make them beat you with the pass. Mm-hmm again yep that was not a number one receiver nowhere in the area code for either team (laughs)
2: that's good (laughs)
3: so you know my thing is stuff the box make them make cam beat you throwing and obviously people everybody in america wants to say you know make lamar beat you throwing too so that should have been the game plan the general game plan for for both teams
2: he just couldn't stop the run that's a great quote. That's going to be on the promo somewhere. There wasn't a number one receiver anywhere in the area. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the other thing I always talk, talk about in terms of deceptive elements is drops of two-plus, so simulated pressures. They only had two of those the whole game. Um, it wasn't quite the lowest rate of the season, but it was the lowest number of the season. So they really only had three blitzes that were deceptive. And when they were being deceptive, it was all about blitzes. And I think I buy your explanation that that's primarily run blitzes we're talking about, or or at least a, it makes a contribu- a significant contribution to those ten.
3: Yeah, that's I, I, I agree. I think that's what it is, because they knew they couldn't just line up. Well, we just couldn't let, couldn't just line up and stop them after that that second drive when they realized that oh, we found something. Because the second, if you look at it, and I'm sure you have, the second drive for New England is completely different than the first drive. Completely different in terms of where they're trying to attack.
2: Interesting. I've got to go back and do that. And make sure I'm, I'm caught up to date on that just to, to look at the differences by drive. But uh, I, I will take your word on that. Let's let's move on and talk about individual players. So this is a point in the show where why don't we just each start by picking one. You're the guest. Please take a player and we'll talk about him and your thoughts.
3: Um, I really expected, you know, based off how the game ended up for well, it to be a Harrison type of game. And you saw him flash as far as taking on blocks, you know, certain times during the game. You could see the the aggressiveness he had, but it just didn't show up in the stat sheet as far as tackles and and things like that. And as far as impact on the game, yeah, he'd take on a guy and blow him up, but it didn't impact the run. They still would get six, seven, eight yards behind him, blowing an edge guy up. There was no one else to feel. And so, as I'm saying this, it's probably an indictment on Queen then, as I'm saying and thinking about it, because... Harrison's coming through, you know, you know, setting the edges or blowing things up and then there's no one else there to feel and make the tackle. Cuz even though I'm indicting Harrison, <laughs> I think I'm indicting Queen on the on the slip.
2: <laughs> yeah, if on those run blitzes you're saying if he's if he's filling a gap, then there should have been someone else to make a tackle in another gap. Yes. And yeah, I, I there were you know, it's I, it I, I'm sure, even in my article, which I spent a lot of time doing, it I really haven't found all of the reasons why it didn't work. But what I try and do is identify the key blocks and then try and figure out what common tendencies they had on those eleven plays. Okay. So I, I agree. Uh, there, there was it was just it was not good gap discipline. Period. Out of Queen in this game, uh, and, and probably out of the Ravens in general. But it's harder to have gap discipline also when the off when the defensive line is getting pushed around by double teams. With relative ease. And, and, so, one,
3: and one thing to to defend Queen and and Harrison, when the guys are getting double teamed into your lap, there's mm-hmm. really nothing you can do as a
2: linebacker. Right. For the, for the, first of all, that gap integrity is gone if he's moved significantly from his starting spot. Right. They they were changing the line of scrimmage. All right. Uh, okay. So let me t- let me pick a different player. Harrison's a good one. I thought Matthew Judon, in terms of what he did against the, uh, as a pass rusher, did a pretty good job. He had a tough assignment in Michael Oweno, who is who is a hell of a rookie, mm-hmm. uh, drafted very late. I don't want to go into more of this on this show, but I, I loved him uh, relative to Bredesen in this draft. And I thought they got, the, they got terrific value uh, getting him. But uh, Judon beat him to the outside once, and Judon also had a great inside move on a pulling guard, Tooney. Uh, which led to a pressure also. So he had a couple of he had a couple of nice pressures in this game, I thought. Didn't play the run that great. Didn't really phantom, play the edge to
3: A phantom uh, flag, too. That was, yeah, oh boy, was, was that bad. That was horrible. That was horrible. He just basically, you know, walled the guy off and pushed him, and they called flag on that. That was. And I think that was a big flag, too. Cause was wasn't it that third down?
2: It was. It, did it create a third down? It gave him 15 yards, so it's big in that respect anyway. I Have to go back to where it was to really see. It's a tack on penalty, so I'm not gonna be able to find it easily. All right. Anyway, I'll I'll get to it. Was it the fourth quarter? Did it happen?
3: Uh, I just I just remember it being a key situation. Uh, I thought I remember it being a key situation. where we was gonna get them off the field.
2: Right. Okay. It's in the third quarter at at 8:35. So it's second and seven. They just completed a pass for eight yards, which was gonna be a first down. But then this tacked on 15 and took them down to the, or tacked on actually seven yards. So instead of at the 14, they were at the seven after So is the that play. the
3: drive, the four play drive? Because Peter. No, it's the,
2: it's, the, it's the drive after the four play drive. They ended up settling for a field goal on the on the drive. Gotcha.
3: I think that was a, that was their their last points, if I'm not mistaken, right?
2: That is correct. They went up 23-10 on that drive. All right. Um, anything else about Judon? No, I'm good on Judon. Okay, who who you got for your next guy? Um, Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark. As
3: much as we love Chuck Clark for being the the play caller and the the IQ guy, he didn't have enough bricks in his pocket to to fit <laughs> in his game. He just didn't. Uh, is he, that he's in that... the right position to make plays, but they they go in two, three yards with him on his back or, or or things like that, or he had to take on the fullback, which. Not good for him because he's technically a safety. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Doug Clark is my, my next guy.
2: So he, he's one of the guys you, you would really point to as as being a, a bad run defender in this game that really hurt the Ravens? As far as his
3: frame and his like physical ability, I would say yes. But as far as being in the right spot and getting other guys lined up, you no. Know, and I, I think it's his only – Thing was physicality. And that's because he they, they didn't have those guys to keep those lineback- or those O-linemen from the second level. Those O-linemen were getting to the second level almost at will, and he, he just can't get off of that. You're looking All at right. a 300-pound guy on, what's Chuck, 210, 220?
2: Yeah, that's 210 tennis. yeah.
3: That, that, that's not going to work for him. And there's no no knock on him as a football player. It's just the guys in front of him would not getting the job done.
2: All right, I, I, you know, we went over the the Clark intentional offsides, and I love the fact that they're able to communicate something to him quickly like that. I, I wouldn't have called Chuck's game terrible last night. I mean, there's just so much terrible to go around in that football game that he Isn't wouldn't it? be the guy I'd pick on. But that's okay. We're 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 looking at different things, and and I'm sure you're you're the the bricks in the pocket thing is a great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like another great one, man. Yeah, and I, and I kind of – trying
3: I got an idea of some of the guys that you're going to say, so I'm kind of trying to pick somebody different just for conversation's
2: sake. Oh, okay. So they, okay I mean, sure. I, it's,
3: it's a lot of guys around that line of scrimmage that we can call out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I, I'll go to another one. I want to talk about Pernell McPhee because I thought he really did have a pretty damn good game set the edge effectively. And when they finally got to that combination of, of Ferguson and McPhee, they really had an edge-setting combo that worked. But McPhee himself contributed to three tackles, which were for short yardage. I forget if it was a zero one and a 2 or a zero one and a 1. But all three of the, of the tackles he made were defensive wins, which is an important uh, annotation. But there are other times when he at least turned the edge where the Ravens were not getting that at all, all night from those edge-setters otherwise.
3: Yeah, he um, that's what that's what he does, and I think he, I think he's taking a um, a, a role of helping Ferguson with that too, because Ferguson is, vastly improved, at that aspect right there.
2: Yeah, completely okay, agree.
3: Said. But uh, McPhee is a, a tough guy. can can give you, uh, some three technique and some five, and he he did what he could. It's just. It's, it's with you don't have them guys in the middle it's just tough you can set the edge all day and you don't have the girth to stop it from inside it, it's tough but as far as McPhee doing his job i i, I agree with you he, he played a hell of a game did what he needed to do to to try to set the edge protect the edge and especially once ferguson got in they were able to do that together
2: yeah that was that was really the magic Formula and I guess they—it's just—it's two rush linebackers and the Ravens are not used to giving up the coverage flexibility to do that. So just it was a hard combo for them to to find. Your your turn. Who do, who else you want to talk about?
3: Not, I can't I can't put it on any of other the DBs because of the way they ran the ball. But and I I want to say some of the younger guys, Matabike in Washington. But just that they're they're younger guys they probably hadn't quite figured out the nuances of how to use their best attributes to go against other guys to take Mm -hmm. what they're good at maximize it to win at the line of scrimmage because they're not going to win with just straight brute strength in the nfl that's that's not going to happen With unless you're somebody like a a sue when he's when he was younger or a a younger fluker you just (laughs) gotta have technique
2: I mean, both those guys, both Matabike and Broderick Washington, also are, are you know, in different ways, finesse players. I mean, they're a little smaller mm-hmm. than your typical defensive linemen are today. Madibike is right around three hundred. Washington's maybe three hundred five or something. Definitely, he's definitely not nose tackle size. Right. And they're putting him in there as a three most of the time, with Ellis at the one. And. <laughs>
3: good old Ellis. <laughs> yeah. I let, I let you talk about
2: Ellis. Uh frustrating game from from him. I I think you know I am glad that he was able to stand in there and do what he did in the game, which is basically play, you know, eat up a ton of snaps, but he got moved and you know, it's bound to happen. Uh it's it's a very subtle difference. I think a lot of people don't really recognize. I know you do, coach, but the difference between holding your ground for an extra three-tenths or four-tenths of a second when you're facing a double team like that and just being able to plant that leg and stay put may be the difference between that second player, that other guard or center, breaking off that block and going into level two and making another successful block.
3: Yes, it, it makes it easier. The The hardest thing to do is, if, if you're a one-tick being double teamed, is to hold your ground. I know a lot of old school uh, coaches teach – when you get double teamed, to just drop and grab grass and make a pile, which mm-hmm. makes sense because now your linebacker is still free to feel or, or scrape or whatever he needs to do. But in our case last night, they were getting that double team three or four yards back. So by the time the linebacker trigger, all the other lineman has to do is basically step to the side. He's not actually having to go get the linebacker. He's just stepping to the side and, and walling them off. And now the back has a two way go. Mm hmm
2: yeah what what do you in in terms of the nose tackle and not getting moved how do you coach that player to to use his hands to help him stay put
3: I think it's more so is of getting your your shoulders turned and splitting it and make and making it be a solo block so basically getting it getting your body between the double team and basically giving your back to a guy so where he really don't have a surface to to move you, and then it turns into a one-on-one block where you're just trying to push the the mm-hmm. uh, offensive lineman left or right, depending on which way the other guy is.
2: Okay, so I I would have thought that in a sense, m- allowing yourself to be moved left or right would be a, generally a bad thing. I would think it'd be a great thing if you're trying to split a double team as a pass rusher. But if you're trying to if you're trying to penetrate on the run and they have their own predefined gaps and they know how they're blocking it, the last thing I want to do is get moved left or right a good distance mm. but uh, does this help you not get moved left or right
3: well when i when I say move left or right i'm not it's, this is like inches not not feet okay. or yard it's just enough to so that guy can't push you backwards is that that, that makes sense sure yeah, i don't you i don't want you, you don't want to go back toward the, the linebacker. You want to, you know, kind of maintain your gap, but give a couple feet so you can split that double team. I mean, because cause even though we're talking about it and it sounds like it take a while to happen, it all happens like that. Mm-hmm. It all happens like that. And you got to, first of all, you got to feel a double team. Then you got to, your body has to have muscle memory enough to eat to try to rip through it and get your shoulders turning and get through it. And it's hard to do. Hard to do. Like on, the, the great ones are, are great at it. A lot of people a lot of people get double teamed on all levels can you that that is hard to do
2: what what about trying to dictate first contact by using the one arm longer than two does that work on trying to avoid a double team block or are you then giving up giving one guy your chest and the other guy your your arm to block I think
3: um definitely one guy's gonna have your chest and if the other guy is smart enough he's basically gonna take your hip mm-hmm. he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna hit you with the hip and push you to that guy so now that guy has two arms on you and he can now climb to wherever he has to go if he has a secondary um assignment
2: right with that that other
3: arm up you're giving away your hip to you know to take that shot and i know a lot of coaches that teach just putting that shoulder pad on the hip and making sure the defender is taken over by one lineman so the other lineman can then go on to a second level defender
2: it is pure gold here. We love these kind of explanations on the show. Really appreciate it from from somebody who's who, who teaches this on a daily basis. Thank you so much for that, Coach. No problem. No problem. Uh, you, any other players? Because I got one more I want to hit on before we close out this segment. Are you go ahead. Okay, I, I was it was very exciting to me, and 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 you know things like this always get me going. When Geno Stone finally got in the ball game, and it didn't happen until the last two meaningful offensive snaps they had. But it looked like the Ravens had 10 on the field. And I go, who who can the 10th be? Because we can't see him. And then I I see Elliott pointing backwards. And I go, that's got to be Geno Stone. You can't see him on screen. (laughs) But I said, that's got to be Geno Stone. Then You don't see him for the play. And then the next play, he lined up on the edge of the formation. You thought, oh, he's got to blitz off the edge. And then they sent the running back out wide on that side. Uh, I think it was white on the play. Uh And and then he had to square up against him and and play him man-to-man. Off, off the line like that, and he he did it. So he's almost he almost got a got his debut at corner and at free safety in the same game.
3: <laughs> and that's what um, our DBs do. That's what our DBs do. With the exception of Peters, our, our DBs play right around the line of scrimmage, and sometimes they blitz. And all Peters did at one time on a run blitz. But you know that's what, if you look at Marlon, that's what Marlon does.
2: Oh yeah, Marlon's a linebacker cornerback.
3: Do
2: Do you think there's a chance that I mean Stone right now is? Okay, we get to that point in the game, and you don't put Levine in the game. That tells me they don't really trust Levine anymore as as a on field safety. Right, and they put Stone on at a point where they still needed to get the football back and try and win the ball game. To me, that tells me Stone should be the third safety whenever they're ready to go back to the dime package as a three safety look because there isn't anybody else. Right,
3: uh, th- I think behind Stone, you
2: got your practice squad guys, right? Yeah that's a Stone is technically a practice squad call up but yes it's, so they they called him up this week it's actually only his first call up cuz the first time he was actually a covid call up mm-hmm. so they got one more chance to bring him up but i you know i really hope this is a draft pick that they end up salvaging cuz i still i still think the guy has the prospect for success at the NFL level particularly with the way the ravens have coached up safeties over the years. Mm-hmm.
3: Does he fit in the Chuck Clark mold a kind of hybrid guy?
2: Well, that, that's what I hope. I mean, in an ideal world, he's a he's a guy who can play special teams. That's Clark. A guy who can play in the box or deep. And I think what, what we're going to see more of with a guy like Stone is that he may not have the speed to play single high, and the Ravens like to play a lot of that. But he may be a good, when they want to go to cover two and they're protecting a lead, he'd be good for that. So he, And the other thing he'd be good at is playing a split role in the dime when they're deep and that's usually it's in the dime that they that they play two deeper safety sometimes they rush one and maybe he'll have to be the rush guy more often than not when they do that but I still think there's there's a there's a place for stone in this defense and let me put it this way if there's a place for Levine who really his his big ability now or at least when he last played the dime well was to play a short zone and really nothing else never drop to a deep coverage area um, I think that there's a place for stone
3: most definitely because Levine is definitely a circle circular space guy
2: yeah <laughs> reads a quarterback still pretty well i still like him as a player but uh, but stone is is all kinds of uh opportunity to still be a ball player at this point mm-hmm. all right I really appreciate the discussion of course let's let's look at the mailbag and see what we have this week because i want to make sure we hit on some of this we got a couple of really good interesting. Things come at the first was I know we'll miss Boyle blocking, but watching the game live, I knew if running right or left, depending on where he lined up, do you think that will help us to be less predictable? That comes from Shakiru.
3: I said earlier to some other guys, I think losing Boyle is going to almost force us to open up our offense to use the receivers more in the passing game because we don't have the bodies to run some of those sets that we love to run. We already were short of tight end, you know, cause last year we had three tight ends and a uh, record. Now we have one tight end Ricard. So it was going to force us to have to use Boykin, uh, Sneed, um, Duvernay, we're going to have to throw to those guys. And we're going to have to open the, the offense up more cause we don't have the personnel to be heavy run. Well, we have the personnel to be heavy run, but just not in those heavy sets.
2: Right, they're, they're going to have to find some different way to do it. I, mean, I, I honestly think they're going to need another tight end because Andrews cannot take an in-line role like that, so they really need another tight end with some real size if they're going to run the same playbook even. I agree. As they have with Boyle being a double-team creator on the inside.
3: And I don't think we can run the same, the same offense. We was already not running a, a lot of the plays that I can recall from last year because we don't have the third tight end because Ricard mm-hmm. is not the athlete that um hers was so it's gonna be even cut back even more on those heavy sets so we're gonna it's gonna force in my opinion it's gonna force wink to find creative ways to use duvernay uh hollywood Sneed. Sneed's been playing good lately it's gonna force him to i'm not wink i meant zero to to use those guys
2: all right, we got one more here. This is from Brad McGowan. Says on last night's broadcast, NBC introduced the Ravens D with the players' PFF ratings. I really hate that. By the way, Collinsworth owns the company, but he but he now is getting the PFF ratings for everybody with the with the uh, opening you know defensive uh, introductions. And I was surprised to see nearly every Ravens front seven player rated towards the bottom of the league. Judon and Queen were rated among the five worst at their respective positions. I'll-
3: also within that same framework, they did it for the the Patriots O line, which is a clip I oh, have yeah. my video, and all of them were in the top ten. With the yeah, exception I, of maybe I, the center.
2: Even they were all very highly ranked, and, and you know what I I'm, after watching that game, I don't think they're wrong just from from what we saw there, but uh, but the having Judon in among the, the five worst is kind of I don't think that can possibly be true. Uh, Or I let me let me say this. I don't think it can possibly be fully reflective of what he contributes in pass defense for the Ravens because his his ability his flexibility there is what drives a lot of the Ravens scheme driven pass rush and you know that's been part of the Ravens success this year is being able to get after the quarterback until these last three games here.
3: Yeah, he he's better in pass coverage than I thought, and I, I always complain when I see him out there in pass coverage, but. He does a good job of, of playing his zone and taking care of guys when they come in his zone. Because right. to me, he- zone coverage is simply man while the guy's close to you, and he you know he does a good job of play, you know playing those guys like the, with the penalty he got. That was a good job of playing man coverage while the mm-hmm. guy was in his zone.
2: Yeah, I, what I kind of like about Judon is I like when he, how he reacts to the play in front of him. I think he's good to react to that ball. He's got the most screen intuition of the current Ravens players, which is not to say he has a lot. None of them are Terrell Sogs. <laughs> but he, he reacts well to the play in front of him. I don't know how well he reads the quarterback. I wouldn't put him real high in that, in that category, and I don't think he really understands what's going on behind him in terms of route concepts. But he knows no to drop, and usually laterally, to a particular spot, and I think he takes away throws from the quarterback by doing that. All that's right. His,
3: that's, his, that's his game in a nutshell, and that's why, that's why his, his value to us is more than just sacks. Even though we like to have Sachs and we think Sacks drives his money. his value to us is more than just Saks.
2: Yeah, it was interesting. We, we I did the the Know Your Foe episode of the Patriots guy, and I am already fearful that both Bowser and Judon end up as Patriots next year. I mean they just are they're exactly the kind of versatile edge defenders who can who can drop to cover, rush the quarterback, you know, create a scheme dependent pass rush that Belichick would love to have.
3: Yeah, I can see it. I even though I would hate to see it, but I definitely can see it.
2: All right, well, coach, thank you so much for joining us as always. But we'd like we'd love to hear anything you have to do. What are you working on currently in terms of projects?
3: Um, again, working on the that drive that the Patriots had, uh, that second quarter drive that I talked about earlier that I liked. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna kind of break that down and talk about how they hurt us with that. Um, as far as the other pro- projects, I don't know what I'm going to do this week because we're actually still in the playoffs, and um. So that kind of later on in the week, that kind of takes my focus toward my actual real
2: job. I, I got to know more about that. So, so wh- what round is it now for the playoffs down there? This is round two. Uh, okay.
3: Play our first round game Friday. Uh, we, tro- we drove to Jacksonville and we beat a team 64 to zero. Whoa. We had 420 some odd rushing yards, but wow. they, they weren't very good. And the reason normally you don't get a playoff game like that, but. Because of COVID, some schools in Florida opted not to play. So everybody that decided to play made the playoffs.
2: Oh, that's cool. So
3: that's you know that's what kind of why that happened. That, and that school had never made the playoffs in their sixty-five year history. That was their first <laughs> ever playoff game.
2: Did Did you outweigh them very seriously? Yeah, way, yes. Yeah, they had a
3: bunch of midgets.
2: A bit bunch of midgets. We, okay. had, we had a lot of
3: one and two play drives. We threw the ball three times. Okay. We had a lot so, of one or two play
2: drives. Had some had some fifty yard runs sprinkled in there, I guess, huh? Yeah,
3: we did.
2: We did. All right. Well that sounds great, coach. I hope you guys can go a long way in that. And I want to hear about it, you know, week after week. If you want to toss me a, a uh, DM or even better yet, if you'll just put it in normal Twitter and we'll talk a little bit about it there. Also make sure you send me the the uh, link to those videos. The coach videos always pure gold. Make sure I get a link and I'll, I'll uh, let the other fans of the show know about it and where they can find it because uh, you, you definitely deserve to have more viewers. Let me say that.
3: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And um, for those that are going to go looking after this, it's Sip to Tally Films on YouTube. Uh, Twitter handle is Coach Evans 9 and IG, which is not very much stuff over there, but it's a little bit, it's Sip to Tally also.
2: Okay. And that's S-I-P-2, the number two, and then T-A-L-L-Y, Sip to Tally. All right, outstanding stuff, coach. Uh, Josh, we, we're here. He'd be plugging the Situation Room, which is our sister show that's also on uh, on FilmStudyBaltimore.com. Please give them a try. A couple great guys uh, that really understand football and put out a show on Sunday night. So it's right after the game. It's the first thing you can listen to in terms of review on Film Study Baltimore. Uh, Gabe. Uh, Excellent show, and uh, and uh, make sure you give that a listen anyway. Uh, in terms of stuff coming up for the week, we have Mike Herndon uh, we're expecting to have on the Know Your Foe episodes. So that'll be good, uh, and uh, look forward to that. It'll come out on Thursday and all the other normal shows and content. Otherwise, offensive line grading, everybody wants to see Ben Powers this week. That'll probably be out on Thursday, but the offensive show will we'll record tomorrow night, and we'll have some discussion of Ben Powers on that. Coach, thanks again for joining us. We can't thank you enough. It's uh, it's so cool to have you. We only get you two times per this year, and I wish it were more. Well, if somebody cancels, call me. We'll do that. We'll do that, buddy. And we'll talk to you next time I appreciate on film you. study.
3: Thank you for having me.